0: You asked me in the very beginning, you know, what is your motivation? And the motivation is not to wait till the cancer is running amok, but to hopefully prevent the development of these diseases.
1: This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and my guest is Dr. Uma Borate, an expert in treating patients with blood cancers such as leukemia. Uma is also one of the leaders of the new James Halt Clinic a cutting-edge, multidisciplinary center that focuses on, identifies, screens, and treats people at a higher risk of developing a blood cancer due to an acquired or hereditary genetic mutation. Welcome, Uma.
0: Thank you, Steve. It's great to be here.
1: Let's start with the word HALT, H-A-L-T. What does that acronym stand for?
0: So HALT stands for H is hematologic, meaning coming from blood, A is abnormalities, at risk of leukemic, that's the L, and T is transformation. So as you mentioned in your introduction, the goal of this clinic is to identify patients or people that are at a higher risk of developing leukemia because either they have an acquired genetic mutation or an inherited genetic mutation that puts them at a lifetime higher risk of developing blood cancers such as leukemia
1: wow so an acquired or a um, hereditary genetic mutation i think i understand but what's the difference
0: So the difference is when you have what we call a hereditary genetic mutation. And you've done podcasts before on the increased risk of breast cancer when patients have inherited, for example, a BRCA, people call it BRCA mutation, um, from maybe their mother or father, and so on. Similarly, there are different genetic mutations that you can inherit from either your father, your mother, or both that put you at an increased risk of blood cancer. In terms of having an acquired mutation, these are mutations that you develop over your lifetime that you did not necessarily have at birth, or these were not mutations that your parents were carriers of and then passed on to you. They have evolved and become part of your DNA just during your lifetime, and we can talk a little bit more about why that might happen.
1: So is that when the cells replicate millions and billions and billions of times, those little mistakes develop into the mutations?
0: That is exactly right. That You, you put it really well.
1: And I'm guessing, although I probably shouldn't guess, but most cancers are acquired. Is, is that correct?
0: That is correct. Most cancers are acquired. A very small proportion are what we call inherited um, where you know your parents have that mutation, and then they pass it on to you.
1: So within, like you mentioned, we talked about the the Lynch syndrome for colorectal and the BRCA for breast cancer. Even then, I know with Lynch, it's a pretty small percentage of people that have that mutation. I think I don't. I hate to guess, like four or five percent, or even less. What percent of people? If you're able to have a hereditary mutation that would lead to a blood cancer and and what are those mutations?
0: So that is a great question. And I will say this research has evolved and exploded in the last five to six years. Previously, when I was training in fellowship, we used to say almost no, no blood cancer is really inherited or hereditary. Now we know that with our research, up to 10% of all blood cancers can be inherited or due to a hereditary genetic mutation, as you mentioned. There are a really large number of different mutations that can put you at risk of blood cancer that are inherited or hereditary. And we can talk more about specifics um, as we go along, if if that's of interest to your listeners.
1: And I'm guessing that the way you the way you said it that when you started out there there they really didn't know of any that just as science evolved and you're able to look through the genetic makeup of of cancer cells and people's DNA you're just finding new things all the time.
0: And you you hit the nail on the head, Steve. That is exactly right. Um, we have become so good at sequencing different diseases and the DNA that's within these different diseases, especially in leukemia, because, as you know, being a blood cancer, it's very easy to access in the blood. Um, we have just become very good at identifying patterns in mu- of these mutations in families, um, in parents, in children, in grandparents and relatives, and have made those associations now to confirm that these are actually inherited disorders um, that we actually weren't aware of before.
1: Yeah. Wow. You're right. We could talk a lot more detail about this and I think we'll get to some of it, but let's, let's go to the HALT clinic and just sort of the background of, of how the idea for it and how you got involved. And from what I understand, you're the only sort of multidisciplinary clinic that, that looks to prevent and screen in all of central Ohio and, and maybe even beyond.
0: So uh, thank you for that question, and it it's been um, an interesting journey, as you mentioned in your introduction. My main role as a physician and as a scientist is to treat patients with blood cancers, especially one that we call acute myeloid leukemia, um, another one called myelodysplastic syndrome. But as you know, once people have cancer, the treatment is you know the 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 very sort of. I don't want to use typical but the different modes that we use chemotherapy um, stem cell transplant so on and so forth and what i was really motivated by was some of the strides that have made been made with prevention so for example you know, with high-risk patients that may be at risk of colon cancer, like Lynch syndrome that you mentioned, or with the BRCA mutations, we know that we can screen these patients more often and prevent the emergence of a cancer. And I was really interested in doing that same thing for blood cancers. Um, And as more and more research has come out that we can actually identify patients at an earlier and earlier stage, I think this was something that I was very motivated to bring to the community of Central Ohio, um, given that you know OSU is a leader in all types of cancer research, especially blood cancer research. Um, I think this was this was something that we were really ideally placed to start here.
1: Yeah, you did. You mentioned that that the James is a leader in blood cancers, and and we've talked about that before. That there was a concerted effort. 20 or some years ago, when Mike Calagiri came here to build up one of, if not the the world's best blood cancer centers.
0: Exactly. And and we don't want to be complacent and rest on our laurels. And as you mentioned, science moves very quickly. um, And we want to move with the science and offer this cutting edge science to the community.
1: And you took the next step in creating this multidisciplinary clinic and the James, again, the James, I just talked to someone about the um, prostate cancer multidisciplinary center. There's a, um, there's one for breast cancer and other cancers. So how do you make that leap from this idea that I want to do more to detect earlier, to figure out who has a um, hereditary ones who we can cascade screen their families? How do you make that leap and create this clinic?
0: So I, I will say the building blocks of this clinic were already here. Um, as you've mentioned, the James has always been a leader in blood cancer research, and we had different people interested in different facets of early detection of blood cancers. What I think I, I did was just bring them all together under one roof. Like you said, the multidisciplinary aspect of this is so important, where you want you know the key people that form this clinic. So you want the, the physicians Who can um, identify these patients, talk to them, and come up with a treatment plan? You want your genetic counselors who are very familiar with this pretty rare group of disorders. As I said, this is still an emerging science. So you want a genetic counselor specialized in treating and identifying patients that may have a hereditary blood cancer. And then, last but not the least, and I think this is something that is unique to the HALT Clinic um, and to this, this. proportion or population of patients that have an acquired mutation that puts them at a risk of blood cancer is not only does it put them at a higher risk of blood cancer one of the biggest things we have identified it actually puts them at a higher risk of heart disease and so for um, a proportion of these patients they actually are at higher risk of morbidity or death from heart disease than they are of developing a secondary blood cancer. And so what we have done in order to address that is to involve our wonderful colleagues in cardiology. Um, And there's this very now um, well-established specialty called cardio-oncology because we know that cancer survivors, cancer patients that go through chemo have challenges with heart disease in general but the fact that these mutations specifically put patients at high risk of heart disease has made it um, really critical for us to involve our cardio-oncology colleagues. And they are also part of this multidisciplinary effort, um, as you just mentioned.
1: So why is it that a, an acquired genetic mutation, would? I can understand how that would put you more at risk for the cancer.
0: Mm-hmm. How
1: does that impact the heart that leads to more heart disease?
0: So again, that is something that um, has really come out in the last few years that we honestly had no idea about. And I think the unique thing, if you think about the one part of our body that comes in contact with every other tissue in our body is blood. Right, so if you have, if you're a smoker and you have a high risk of lung cancer, the smoke really goes to the lungs and the lung tissue can get irritated and maybe there's mutations in the lung tissue that make you a high risk for, blood, um, for lung cancer, excuse me. But the difference with a mutation that exists in your blood is that it touches every part of your body. It touches your heart, your blood vessels, um, your brain, um, your kidneys, And so now what researchers are showing is because of that continuous contact with blood vessels in various organs throughout the body these cells that carry these mutations actually interact with tissues throughout the body and change the predisposition to different diseases throughout the body so for example When you have a specific mutation, we call it TET2, TET2, it interacts with the body's ability to process cholesterol and actually puts the patient at a higher risk of developing heart disease due to elevated cholesterol. Having the mutation is one factor, but your lifestyle is another factor, and that's something we talk about in our clinic a lot. Patients actually do have some control over their lifestyle, healthy eating, exercise, lowering their cholesterol. They may not have control over whether they have the mutation or not, but there are things that they can do to minimize their risk of not just blood cancer, but specifically of heart disease, which typically is a much more um, eminent risk than the risk of developing blood cancer maybe five or 10 years down the road.
1: Wow. So it seems to me that that might mean that down the road, in addition to heart problems you could find other areas of the body that this specifically um damages
0: and i i steve i I think you hit the nail on the head and i I think every few days or few months i see a paper where people are showing associations with for example osteoporosis um, where you know that you know you can have weak bones and that predisposes you to um, fractures there's some links with Alzheimer's, where sometimes having these mutations could be protective for Alzheimer's, which is something that's still been looked at. But in general, having these mutations do affect many different organs in the body. We know they affect the heart. We know they affect the bone marrow and put you at risk of leukemia, but they can affect your bones. And like, I, like you just said, that research is evolving very quickly.
1: Well, wow. we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll dig down into some of the more details of the Hulk Clinic. In today's world, misinformation abounds. But at the Ohio State Health and Discovery website, we're addressing today's most relevant health, wellness, science, and research topics, all from the Ohio State experts you can trust. We're tapping into physicians, scientists, and thought leaders across our medical center and health sciences colleges to give you the deeper story behind the headlines and the truth about the topics affecting the health of individuals, society, and the world. Visit health.osu.edu today. We're back with Dr. Uma Borate, and we're talking more about the HALT Clinic, And Uma, I'm very curious how you enroll or find your patients. If someone has leukemia and you do genetic testing, that's one thing. But how do you get people before they get cancer?
0: So that, Steve, is a a (laughs) very good question. Um, So I'll start off with the first comment you make. I, I think it's not as intuitive as you would think that if somebody has leukemia, that you can actually find patients that have leukemia because of a hereditary or inherited mutation. And I'll tell you why. It's because for the longest time in our field, the thinking has been, this is not common, right? That you got leukemia because of your environmental exposures, bad luck, age. And so we still have a long way to go before we think very carefully about a leukemia patient and why they might have gotten leukemia. So from our perspective, we're trying to raise awareness even among our own community of doctors to say, take a very detailed history from your leukemia patients, especially your younger patients to see, is there a history of blood cancer in the family? Um, Is there a history of other cancers in the family? So I'll give you a great example. We had a young leukemia patient who had a history very atypical history of having um, a a very frequent colon polyps and as you know from your podcast on lynch syndrome this is something that sort of raises your eyebrows from maybe lynch syndrome or some other colon cancer syndromes but she never had colon cancer she just had some polyps that kept popping up and kept being resected and then she had leukemia So we did a lot of research and lo and behold, there's been a gene very recently identified that's a syndrome that gives people polyps but also gives them leukemia. Um, And so, you know, it's, I think number one, even though we see patients with leukemia all the time, we have to do a lot of education to identify those patients that have this because of an inherited predisposition or a mutation because it has a lot of consequences for their children their brothers and sisters, maybe even their parents. And the last thing I want to point out is, for the most part, treatment for a lot of leukemia involves a stem cell transplant. And the donors in the stem cell transplant are typically your family members. So identifying whether the leukemia is because of a hereditary mutation is important because the last thing you want is to get a stem cell donor from your family who may have the same mutation but just has not developed as yet. So that's sort of the first population, as you mentioned, is being very aware of our leukemia patients and making sure you identify the ones that could have had an inherited predisposition.
1: And it sounds like until recently, that routine genetic testing to find the mutation that possibly caused the cancer just wasn't done because science, the technology wasn't there, particularly in smaller regional hospitals. And that comprehensive cancer centers like the James are turning that around
0: that I I think you put it really well Um, the technology wasn't there the awareness and the education wasn't there and I will say it still remains a challenge even though the science is clear on this Um, we fight insurance companies all the time for this additional testing that we have to do to explain to them that this is now part of something that is a good standard of care for our leukemia patients so Um, I I think there's a lot more work to be done there. But with your other question of, you know, how do you identify patients before they develop leukemia? Let's say they, you know, how do you identify patients that just have a mutation and are walking around without even knowing it? And and the answer to that, Steve, is we're still not quite there yet in a very um, concerted manner the way breast cancer screening is done or colon cancer screening is done. But right now, the way we identify these patients is through multiple sources. The biggest source is typically other cancer doctors, other oncologists who have noticed small abnormalities in a patient's blood work. So let's say you go for your routine physical, you're otherwise healthy, you may be in your 60s, maybe even your 70s, and you have maybe a little bit of a lower white count, which isn't explained by anything. And your doctor says, you know what? I just don't like the way this is looking. You should do some additional testing. And so those are the patients that we want to capture early and do that genetic testing that you mentioned because that is still not commonly done um, for many reasons, awareness being one, but also insurance restrictions being another. And when we do that genetic testing, that's when we actually identify that the reason their blood counts may be slightly abnormal. Again, these patients don't have leukemia yet. Uh, But they may have these genetic mutations that explain the low blood counts and could predispose them to leukemia maybe five, 10 years from now.
1: So it sounds like you're not quite there in developing something similar to the PSA test for prostate cancer that would give specific numbers about the chances of that cancer. But down the road, however many years, when I go to my Uh, annual checkup and get a blood draw. They can do the PSA test and they may be able to do something for many, many more cancers such as blood cancers.
0: Exactly. I will have a a small caveat to what you just said. There are certain what we call subsets of, of people that are a higher risk of developing these mutations and a possible blood cancer. And that set of patients is another set of patients that we see in this clinic. These are patients who have had other cancers and had treatment for those cancers. So for example, a patient with breast cancer that was successfully treated for her breast cancer, had chemotherapy, had radiation, now is cured, but still has an increased risk of acquiring these mutations that may put her at a risk of developing a blood cancer down the road. And the reason that happens is for some people, just being exposed, just like being exposed to chemicals all your life, is not good for your DNA. Being exposed to some types of treatments for cancer is not necessarily the most healthy thing for your DNA and may predispose you to risk in the future. This is not all blood cancer, I mean, breast cancer patients. This is not all cancer patients that have had chemo or radiation, but we do see that in increasing numbers now when they follow up with their cancer doctors and those doctors are being very proactive and sending their patients to us to make sure that they're not missing this risk of developing another blood cancer.
1: Are you at the point now where you know which certain chemotherapies or types of radiation or or amounts of radiation would, would make someone uh, more prone to this?
0: We are actually, we, we actually have a lot of information about that. Um, I think what we're, where we're not quite there yet is how do we integrate that knowledge into a patient who is actively getting treatment with, treatment with chemotherapy and radiation. And I, I want to send a clear message that chemotherapy and radiation for many cancers saves lives and cures people. I, I do this every day. Um, I don't want people to think that, oh, you know, I I don't want to do these treatments because I'm going to at risk of something down the road. I think as oncologists and as patients with cancer, we're very clear about the fact that if you have cancer, it presents an immediate threat to your life. Um, And as you've heard from many people on this podcast we need to find better, more effective ways of treating this cancer. But we do know the reality that we have become so good at treating cancers that patients with cancer survivors are living longer and longer and longer. And the influence of age, as we age, like you said, our cells multiply billions and billions of times. There are mistakes made that can't be fixed. And other exposures that they've had, including treatment for previous cancers, does make them at a higher risk of developing a blood cancer down the line. And those are the patients we want to identify. We want to take care of them and we want to keep them healthy and as long as possible.
1: Once you've identified people either who have been previously treated for cancer or you, they have a suspicion and you've identified this mutation, how does the, the whole clinic work? What are sort of the steps? How do you screen? And, and most importantly, how do you prevent
0: so the first step is as you said, once patients are identified and referred to our clinic, we have a really um, nice review, a process where we review patients records um, we make sure we understand sort of what has gone on with them in their life and why they might have you know acquired or inherited these these mutations. We see the patient in conjunction with our very talented genetic counselor who will really delve into the patient's family history to, to I, To try to understand, one, you know, were there components of the patient's family tree that put them at risk of inheriting this mutation? Or were there components in the patient's life that make them at risk of acquiring this mutation? And and I want to say that because sometimes you can have both. You inherit one mutation and then because something happens in your life, the normal gene that you you know did not have damage to gets damaged and so you acquire the second mutation and then that makes you at a high risk of developing a cancer later on in life so identifying both those things is really important that's what we do in the clinic And then what we do is we really develop a plan with the patient on where do they fall in this risk? Is this risk really high? And do we worry about something happening in the next couple of years? Or is this risk something that we think is manageable and we just need to follow them and their blood work every six months or every year? Do they need additional biopsies? Um, Do they need to see cardiology? Do they already have an increased risk of heart disease? And we need to optimize that. So we come up with a patient-specific treatment plan, um, and then we go from there.
1: Now, I know in, say, breast cancer or colorectal cancer, if you catch it early before it's gotten bigger and metastasized, the um, treatment options are better and the long-term outcome for patients are better. Is it the same with blood cancers?
0: So if you had asked me this question a few years ago, I would have said no. However, again, we've had such wonderful advances in treatments for blood cancer that I would say the answer is slowly becoming yes. The earlier we identify the blood cancer, the easier it is to treat it and to hopefully cure it. Now, there's a lot of caveats to this. Obviously, every patient and their case is different, but I, I think the other important thing that we're realizing is blood cancer and the genetic mutations don't exist in a vacuum as with any cancer you have your genetic predisposition whether you inherited it or you acquired it and then you have the environment you live in and one thing we do know that affects progression of this type of mutation or cancer is the presence of inflammation in your body so for example if you have the tendency to have autoimmune diseases We do know that that could interact with this mutation to increase your risk of developing a blood cancer down the road. So you ask the question, you know, how can you prevent it if you find it early? And one of the strategies that we're looking at is to intervene by decreasing the levels of inflammation in a person's body to try to minimize the risk of this mutation getting bigger and bigger down the road. And these are clinical trials that are very new. Um, that are being sort of looked at in multiple different places. But as far as we know, we're the only ones in this region that are offering these type of trials. Um, So we're really excited about the ability to actually, hopefully, change the natural history of progression and prevent the progression of this process.
1: That word inflammation keeps coming up in in so many different types of cancer as as a a warning sign, as something that contributes to cancer. So obviously you're learning more about the impact of inflation and how it causes cancer. How do you say there's clinical trials to reduce it? How do you reduce inflammation?
0: So these clinical trials are still a a work in progress. They're not open and widely available yet. We hope that we will have one in our clinic, uh, in the HALT clinic in the next few months. But um, the way we So there's multiple ways to target the very complex process of inflammation. But one of the more common ways is to target specific components that drive inflammation. And the word we use for these chemicals is cytokines. And it's a very complex set of chemicals that are released by your body, by different cells, that drive inflammation. And for some things, it's protective. It's protective against for example, viruses, bacteria, and so on and so forth. But in certain cases, if the inflammation is unchecked, it can actually be um, harmful. And so there are different drugs that we use, and these are already being used in different autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, that we can then give in a dose and a manner that can dampen or lower the levels of inflammation and the goal is to study whether this can prevent the progression to an overt blood cancer over time.
1: So there if this works you can this is prevention. This is amazing.
0: Correct. And that and again very early days but yeah. that is the hope of starting a clinic like this, you asked me in the very beginning, you know, what is your motivation? And the motivation is not to wait till the cancer is running amok, but to hopefully prevent the development of these diseases.
1: Well, that, that's what I want to end this with is motivation. You're someone who already early in your career, you're seeing patients with blood cancers, treating them, but that wasn't enough. You wanted to take it to the next level to create the whole clinic? What what does motivate you? What gets you up in the morning to say, I got to do more. What we have now is great, but we got to do more.
0: I think I am always motivated by my patients. And as you mentioned, it's not enough for me to treat patients once they've developed the cancer. Um, as with most cancers, majority of my patients that I see in my clinic are in their 60s and their 70s. They've worked hard their whole lives. They've saved money. They're looking forward to these golden years, as you call them, you know, retirement, grandkids, travel. Instead, they're just spending time in my clinic, you know, for various treatments, for transfusions, um, dealing with side effects of the treatment so we can hopefully prolong their lives and cure them. But I, I wish that it wouldn't have even come to that. I would love for us to do something proactively. So if we identify these processes early, we can intervene and let people live those years of their life, hopefully away from our clinics um, and, and spend them the way they want to.
1: Yeah, that's a great point that anything, anytime you can prevent anyone from getting cancer or catch it very, very early so they have long years of, with great quality of life is, is just an amazing goal.
0: Thank you, I couldn't have said it better.
1: Thanks for joining us, and maybe down the road you can update us on the Hulk Clinic. It's very new, so in a year or so you can touch base and fill us in on, on some of the progress you've made.
0: That would be fantastic. I can't wait to, to give you some exciting reports in, in a little bit.
1: This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Soloff Research Institute. For more information check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.